listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth be heard. Amen. Aside from the birth narratives in Luke's and Matthew's Gospels and the abbreviated, accelerated chronology in the Gospel according to Mark, a passion story with an extended introduction, and the more thematic symbolism-focused account provided by John's Gospel, we know precious little about the life of Jesus of Nazareth. It is into this vacuum that scholar of all early Christianity and Judaism, Episcopalian priest and uh, Bernard Eidingsbell, professor of philosophy and religion at Bard College in Annandale on Hudson in New York State, Bruce Chilton, takes a deep dive in a book entitled Rabbi Jesus, an Intimate Biography. With Rabbi Jesus, Chilton offers a mixture of historical biography and psychoanalytical assessment, with each chapter offering a case study of a particular episode in Jesus' life. With each case study, we have Jesus wrestling with a core wound, and from such a core wound assessment, children recounts or more accurately imagines stages in Jesus' life, work, and witness. The core wound that Chilton identifies in Jesus' self-understanding or character designation is a mamzer. That is to say, an Israelite of suspect paternity. And we know that part of Jesus' story well variously recorded through the Annunciation story, the story of the Annunciation to Mary and the account of the angel Gabriel's visitation to Joseph. Chilton in Rabbi Jesus takes this key aspect, expands on it, and imagines the occasion of Jesus' ritual circumcision writing thus, the moment must have been particularly poignant to Mary. She probably knew that her son would Shay always be considered a mamzer. Such men and women lived in a caste apart, unable to marry within the established bloodlines of Israel, and so were often excluded from the mainstream of religious life. Although Mary may have been teased and shunned because of her promiscuity, she knew that Jesus' circumcision assured him a place in Israel, the bond of blood united all Jews, even those of the Mamzer caste. 
A little while later in Luke's gospel, we have the story of Mary and Joseph making pilgrimage to the Jerusalem temple, and we're told that this happens when the young boy, uh, Jesus, was 12 years old. And somehow, after Mary and Joseph have embarked on the trip back to Nazareth, they realize, oops, we forgot Jesus. And they return to Jerusalem to find Jesus sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And what's more, we're told how all were amazed with his understanding and answers. Children reports good reason to doubt that that actually happened, putting forward what he considers a more likely or plausible sequence of events. Children explains that what more likely happened was that Jesus disappeared in the crowd at the Jerusalem temple, and his family lost touch with him for an extended period, lasting several years through his teenage, into his early adulthood. And during this time, Chilton imagines Jesus connecting with the motley crew, the followers surrounding John the Baptist. Chilton argues, the Gospels deliberately shove John into the background in a desire to portray Jesus as independent, autonomous Son of God. And what the Gospels conceal and what scholarship has ignored, he says, is the principal reason Jesus would have sought John out. Jesus wanted to become his Talmud, his student, his disciple. He wanted to learn a halakha from John, a way of living God's covenant with Israel. The bottom line or the thread woven by it throughout the story is that Jesus had a rebellious, venturesome spirit, not becoming a passionate religious genius genius by moldering the, in the conventional piety of a village that barely accepted him. Instead, he broke out. His pilgrimage to the temple marked the beginning of an adolescent transition of explosive potential. What Chilton crafts in a rebellious character, Jesus, mentored by John in a sort of alternative or countercultural presentation, connects with Jesus' core wound identity as a mamzer, an Israelite, a suspect paternity. Children's Rabbi Jesus provides a fascinating lens into tonight's gospel reading. Jesus' pronouncement of give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Or as some of us might recall in the phraseology of the King James Version, render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. 
Now, even as we read this passage as part of the latter half of the ordinary time readings, its place in Matthew's narrative merits notice. The previous chapter has Jesus' triumphal Palm Sunday entry into Jerusalem and includes Jesus' cleansing of the temple, turning over the tables of the money changers, Jesus' cursing of the fig tree, and Jesus' authority being questioned. It all reads as part of the Holy Week narrative. In other words, the stakes could not be higher. Jesus' reputation as more than a bit of a rabble-rouser has preceded him, and whatever sort of establishment constituency is represented by the Pharisees, well, they've had quite enough of this Galilean preacher, this parable-teller, this miracle-worker, this fig-tree-cursor, and they are ready to put him in his place. We're told that they're seeking to entrap Jesus in what he says. And yet, regardless of their intent, their questioning raises an important topic. What is our social obligation? Are we part of a wider community fabric, or are we not? Are we part of society's challenges and opportunities, or are we not? Are we in this world, or are we not? Should we pay taxes, or should we not? Do our jobs, do our material possessions and obligations, or lack thereof, do those matter, or do they not? In sidestepping the trap that has been set for him, the answer Jesus provides is that we do have a commitment to building up the social fabric. We do need to pay attention to how we live in this world and work out our salvation in fear and trembling in the here and now. How we engage the material world matters. It's all part and parcel to an incarnational path of discipleship. And yet, at the same time, Jesus, in his quintessentially rebellious sort of way, is acknowledging the truth, and he's also, again, in a quintessentially rebellious sort of way, placing that truth alongside another truth, that we also belong to God, and that we owe our allegiance to, that we are owned by God. And as Clayton Schmitz puts it, the consequences of belonging to God are remarkable. First, it means that God will not forsake us. And second, 
It means that we belong to or are an essential part of the people of God. In other words, we are never only you in your small corner and I in mine, but we are part of something bigger, something more powerful, something more enduring. We are part of the people of God. Martin Bell, in The Way of the Wolf, spins this tale, describing the people of God in this way. I think God must be very old and tired. Maybe God used to look splendid and fine in such a outfit, but no more. God's been on the march a long time, you know, and look at this ragtag little bunch of followers. All God has for followers are you and me. Listen, the drumbeat isn't even regular. Everyone is out of step. And there you see God keeps stopping along the way to pick up one of the tinier followers who's decided to wander off and play with a frog or run in a field or whose foot got tangled in the underbrush. God uh, will never get anywhere fast that way. And yet the beat goes on. To see how they these marchers have broken up into little groups. Look at that group up near the front. Now there's a snappy outfit. They all look pretty much alike. At least they're in step with one another. Only they're not wearing their shoes. They're carrying them in their hands. Silly little bunch of followers. They won't get far before God will have to stop again. Or how about that other group over there? They're all holding hands. The only trouble is that with the ones on the end of the line, pretty soon they realize that one of their hands isn't holding on to any one or anything. One hand is reaching empty alone. And so they hold hands with each other. And everyone marches, gathers around in circles. The more people holding hands, the bigger the circle. And of course, a bigger circle is deceptive because as we travel along, it looks like we're going someplace, but we're not. And God must stop again. You see what I mean? They'll never get anywhere fast that way. Now, if God were more sensible, God would take this little bunch of followers and shape them up. Why, whoever heard of someone stopping to fur a romp in the field? It's ridiculous. But even more absurd is a God who will stop the march of eternity to go and bring every last one back. That is the Holy One for you. The Holy Ones is no endless empty margarine. We're going somewhere. Our steps are deliberate and purposive. God may be old and God may be growing tired. 
but God knows where God is going. And God means to take every last one of the followers along with God. Only there aren't going to be any forced marches. And after all, there are frogs and flowers and thorns and underbrush along the way. And even though our foreheads have been signed with the sign of the cross, we are only human. And most of us are afraid and lonely and will like to hold hands or cry or run away. And we don't know where we are going. And we can't seem to trust God even when it's dark and we can't see. And God won't go on without us. And that's why it's taking so long. Listen, the drumbeat isn't even regular. Everyone is out of step. And there you see God keeps stopping along the way to pick up one of the tinier followers who decided to wander off and play with a frog or run in a... or whose foot got tangled in the underbrush. They'll never get anywhere fast that way. And yet, the march goes on. And so in answer to the question that was put to Jesus, are we of the emperor or are we of gods? Yes, we live in society. Yes, we are part of the people of God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.